hosts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Last week, the markets rallied for the third week in a row, and the S&P finished just a hair under its all-time high that it set back in September. And Monday, it pushed through that level. And well, right now, we're waiting to see if it holds that level. I think there are two main reasons why we're at where we're at. One is earnings, and the other is trade. On the earnings front, we came into earnings season with the analysts expecting earnings to be down eh, somewhere around 5% or so. And so far, it's looking much better than that, maybe down 2%. So investors are happy on that front. They're also more positive on the U.S. and China striking a trade deal when they get together in Santiago, Chile next month. The administration has said that the two sides have come to an agreement on intellectual property, financial services, and a deal for the American farmers. President Trump has referred to phase one of this deal as a as a love fest. We'll have to see about that. But if some sort of agreement does happen, then that would take away some of the uncertainty that business leaders have, and we would probably see more capital spending, and that would be good for stocks. I know there are some of you who are worried about a repeat of last year when the market's fell apart in the fourth quarter. And I don't think we'll have another replay of that. I want to talk about market timing here in just a minute or two. But if we look back to last year at this time, you had the Fed and other foreign central banks hitting or hiking interest rates and foreign markets were hitting new lows. Now we have the Fed and most central banks lowering rates. And we'll probably get another cut this rate, uh, another uh, cut in rates this week. The market is pricing in a better than 90% chance of that happening. And as I mentioned last week, you have the markets in Germany, France, and Japan. They're all hitting new highs. I still believe we're going to be able to muddle our way through. Things have clearly slowed down, but history has shown us that we can slow down and not go into a recession. As long as unemployment stays low and wages continue to rise, allowing the consumer to stay strong, and and you have the Fed that's committed to acting as appropriate, I, I think we'll be okay for a while longer. I said that earnings have looked much better um, than what was anticipated coming into earnings seasons. And this coming weekend, We'll see what Berkshire Hathaway has to say. They release earnings this Saturday, and I don't know of any other company that reports during the weekend, but Berkshire's going to release this coming Saturday. Operating earnings are expected to be up about 5% compared to last year. And if that's the case, reported earnings will probably be higher than that because they reflect changes in Berkshire's equity portfolio, which is substantial. What a lot of folks are going to be watching for is how much of their own stock they bought back. Right now, my guess is that Berkshire, which is symbol BRK, we buy the B shares, so it's BRKB, it's trading at about 1.3 times book value, which I think is a reasonable price to purchase at. 
If you're a Warren Buffett fan or just follow Berkshire in general, you may remember that in their 2018 annual letter to shareholders, Buffett wrote that it's, and I'll quote here, it's likely that over time, Berkshire will, Berkshire will be a significant repurchaser of its shares. But we really haven't seen that. Berkshire's stock buybacks are running at a rate of less than 1% of the company's market value. And investors have been hoping to see Berkshire buy back about, I don't know, $10 billion a year. And they certainly have the cash to do it. They have north of $120 billion on the balance sheet or $120 billion in cash on the balance sheet now. And so far this year, the company's class A shares, which is symbol BRK, you got it, A, BRKA. Well, those A shares have gained about 4% so far this year. This is as of Monday, which is way behind the 23% total return of the S&P 500, which again, closed at record highs on Monday. This is one of Berkshire's worst years of relative performance during Buffett's 54 years at the helm of the company. So investors are looking for something to cling on to. I haven't talked about Berkshire for a long time now, but I think this is a company that has a narrower set of outcomes compared to most stocks. In other words, I would be surprised, pleasantly surprised, to see them grow at more than 10% a year. But I'd also be surprised to see them grow at less than 7% a year. I think those days of huge outperformance are gone, mainly because of their size. I do still think it's a core long-term holding, and it's trading at what I think is a reasonable price now. And here's where my opinion has changed on Berkshire over the last couple of years. So ring the bell, pay attention here. I started buying Berkshire more than 20 years ago. And by just holding on to it, it's grown and grown and grown. We started out, I started out with a 5% position in portfolios and it grew to as much as, I don't know, 20%. And I was comfortable with that. Probably the only stock I'd be comfortable with that kind of weighting, but now I'm a bit more reluctant. I'd rather see it down around that 5% weighting because again, I think the days of the exceptional returns are behind us. And let's face it, Buffett is getting older and will face some uncertainty when the inevitable comes. So hopefully this sounds like good common sense, but if I didn't own it, I think it's a great company selling that at an attractive price, but I wouldn't overweight it. One company I do think that you can look at and do your own research on, you always want to do your own research, do some research on Cisco, symbol CSCO. And I've talked about this many times before, so I'll give you the short version today. It's a good company that's selling relatively cheap, in my opinion. And they're cheap because they're facing some headwinds. You know, that prize terrier, well, it has a few fleas. And that's why you're getting a good deal. Give it a bath and a dip, and you have yourself a really good dog. Cisco's fleas come in the form of the trade war, which has had an impact on their business and led them to lowering their earnings estimates for the coming quarters. If you believe this will all pass, then you might want to look at the company. They have a terrific balance sheet. They have about $8 a share of cash on their books, or 
more than $4 if you pay off all the long-term debt. Now, think about that. About $4 of their $47 stock price is in cash. That's about 8 or 9%. And while you're waiting, you're collecting what's now about a 4 uh, I'm sorry, a 3% dividend. I'd look at Cisco, symbol CSCO. I think the IT stocks and the financials will do fairly well here in the near term. Another one I would have on my list would be United Healthcare, symbol UNH, if it pulled back a bit here down to, I don't know, 240 or so. Let's change direction here for a minute or two. When I started my career in financial services back in the mid-90s, I was hired into the Prudential Securities Training Program after having gone to culinary school and traveled the world working as a chef for many years. But when I started at Prudential Securities, early on, a legendary investor who worked there told me to buy good businesses when I thought they were inexpensive and sell them when I thought they were overvalued. In other words, focus on the fundamentals and leave the market timing to those folks who think they can predict the future. And as it turns out, the average investor, well, just isn't very good at it. Dalbar, which is a company that's been studying investor behavior for the last 25 years, noted that last year, 2018, last year, the average equity investor lost 9.42% compared to the S&P 500 index, which was down 4.38%. That's right. The average investor underperformed by more than 5%. And this is what Dalbar has to say about that. And again, this is another quote. Judging by cash flows, we saw investors sensed danger in the danger in the markets and decreased their exposure, but not only but not nearly enough to prevent serious losses. Unfortunately, the problem was compounded by being out of the market during the recovery months. As a result, equity investors gained no alpha, and in fact, trailed the S and P by 504 basis points. Folks, that means a little more than 5%. That's right. The average investor, according to Dalbar, underperformed by 5% last year. And this isn't a one-year phenomena. These numbers are pretty consistent year to year. Now, the magnitude of it changes, of course, but the trend is pretty consistent. For transparency's sake, I don't totally agree with Dalbar's numbers for a variety of reasons, but I do think that they're generally right. I do think that your average stock investor underperforms the S&P 500 consistently. One of the big reasons why I think this is, is because they let fear and greed take control. They're buying and selling at the wrong time based off of how they're feeling about the market. I came across a chart that uh, Morningstar published, and it gives us some insight to market timing or it gives me some insight to market timing. And it dovetails with what Dalbar is saying. And this chart or, or study covered a period from 1997 to 2017, so 20 years. And during that 20-year period, there were 5,217 trading days. If you had been invested that whole time, your return would have been about 7.2%. 
if you were out of the market for the best 10 days, the best 10 days out of 5,217, your return would have been 3.5%, substantially less. If you had missed out the best 30 days, the best 30 days out of 5,217, your returns would have been negative for that 20-year period, just from missing 30 of the best days. For the details or disclosure, Morningstar used the S&P 500, which is an unmanaged basket of stocks, and assumed that uh, the reinvestment of dividends occurred. Of course, you can't invest directly in an index, so you have to consider this a hypothetical. But my advice to you would be the same that was given to me 25 years ago. Focus on the fundamentals of the business and leave the market timing to those folks who think that they can predict the future. I think you'll be much better off. That's all we have time for today. We'll be back next week. And until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow. This has been Eric Whiteman for Common Sense Investing. Okay, you've listened to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.